All right, welcome to the Metro Music Makers podcast. My name is Mark Grundhofer, and I'm here with Allison Gerald. And we are continuing our series talking to pro uh, uh, musicians who have taken uh, some different paths into the music industry and made it their career. And uh, we're real excited today to have Ben Ivey on the podcast. And uh, Ben owns a studio in North Atlanta, and he's on the road as a uh, sound engineer. And he just does a lot of things locally, running live sound. And I think it would be uh, really fun to talk to him and find out some more about what he does and how he got into it. Um, so, yeah. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Guys, how are y'all doing? All right, man. Thanks hey. for uh, joining us this morning. Of course. Um, Thanks for asking me. So, so Ben and I met a couple years ago uh, through some mutual friends, and I actually went out to his studio in at the time in Ackworth and recorded a single. And uh, it was really fun, just a solo guitar piece. And uh, he, he set up all the really nice, expensive microphones, and we got a really nice... Uh, I, I used a guitar that he had there because it was kind of tuned to the room, and everything was great. We did it in about... Uh, I don't know. I think we. I think our session took about two hours, three hours. A lot, a lot of, a lot of hanging out too, and so it was, it was fun. And I was really happy with the product. And so um, uh, now that you've moved your studio, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely uh, anxious to get back in and do some work. So, um, so tell us a little bit about uh, your studio, which is Living Oaks Studio, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, now it's. I can see the space you're in, but you've got a new space now. So maybe tell us a little bit about how how you got that studio started and maybe even how you got started um, in sound engineer. Cool. The sound engineer world. Yeah, yeah. So I got started um, kind of like most people do in the South. Um, I started at a church that I grew up in. Um, my dad was an engineer, um, but he is actually a, a physicist by trade. And so he's really, really smart. Um, he actually knows what all the buttons mean and he can explain it to you in a scientific manner. Um, and so when I was a kid, he would be up in like the balcony area and it was called the audio box. Mm -hmm. And he would be in this tiny little room, you know, with a giant analog desk, um, quote unquote, mixing a service. Yeah. Um, which is interesting now because it's more talking heads and things are pretty stationary. But I learned really early on, you know, how to actually do it correctly. Right, um, because with those analog boards, you have to do everything. Yeah, and it's not, you know, digitized right in front of your face and you can see the faders and you can see all the stuff coming right. through. Um, this was actually a lot more difficult. Um, and so I sat next to him one day and I can't remember when it was, but I was pretty young and I just said, Hey, what do these buttons mean? Mm -hmm. And he like went in super in depth. <laughs> I like telling me what they meant. And it kind of, I, I know for a fact it went totally over my head for sure, but I was just always interested in it. And I learned a lot of values in it as well. Um, because since I grew up in church, uh, my mom was the pianist and she still is there today. And she's an incredible musician. And my dad had played a little bit in college, stuff like that, but he was more about the sound and stuff. And so because of those influences, like I learned how to, you know, work behind the scenes for a really long time um, and realize how important those people are to whatever you're doing. 
Yeah. Um, so a lot of those values kind of came across of going, Hey, your job is to not be noticed. Your job is to do your, your thing and no one come up and complain to you. Right. You know, uh, which is <laughs> synonymous with engineers all over the world. All they, all we ever do is have people comment and tell us what they think, which is fun. Right. Uh, but having that experience in the church really, really helped me. And it was also a safe place to learn too. Um, because most people can't learn something totally like they have no idea what's going on um, in a safe environment. Um, Yeah. um, So yeah, that was kind of my start in that. And I basically was up there with them every week. Okay. Um, And so I wasn't really like learning, learning as I would say, like, you know, taking notes like I do for videos now and things like that. But I was I was learning vicariously through him, just literally just sitting next to him all the time. Yeah. Because um, now he would look at a digital board and go, "What is this? Like I can barely run the faders now." And he'll sometimes mix at church now, and they have a digital console, yeah. and he'll text me and ask me questions about it. See, I was gonna say that's that's how I am. I, I, yeah. I, I if you put an analog board in front of me, I can make the band sound you know halfway decent. But yeah, and a digital board. Oh, I mean I. I need you need I need the YouTube instructions. Like the, the, well, that's the thing like, now about today's world is that you can learn anything online. Right um, now, you might not learn it well, sure, but you'll yeah. at least get a foundation. Like I can I can tell you how to use a desk with a three minute video, and right. anybody can learn it, and it's yeah. really cool. Um, it's that on the fly stuff though, that those analog boards that I would be, you know, and that you probably yeah. remember like just being able to quickly like adjust like some mids mm-hmm. or something like that. Whereas in the digital boards, you have to go through the menus and all that. Yeah. I had a friend of mine the other day, um, with a client that I've, that I've been at this venue many times. Um, but it's a complicated system. There's a actual patch bay in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. and, um, there's three different spots where you can connect to that patch bay mm-hmm. and he had no clue how it was yeah. arranged. Yeah. And because I had been there a long time ago and set it all up, he was, he called me and was like, Hey man, right. How did you do this? And uh-huh. I kind of had to explain to him, Hey, well, this person can move this. So you got to look at this, this, and this, and mm-hmm. it all worked out. But knowing those things, knowing the signal flows and some of those like basic fundamentals of, of engineering is like insanely important. Sure. Uh, and I learned pretty much all of that from from my dad and just vicariously like just watching and learning yeah. learning what a gain knob actually means by by physically pressing and moving the button and around. It, yeah. And teaching myself because I taught a lot of things myself over the years. Um but that was really really formidable for me. And then I also was a performer, which is kind of a most people don't know that. That was going to be my question because I see yeah. the guitars back there and I'm assuming mom maybe had you take some piano lessons. She did. And this is the worst part. Um, probably the worst part of my story is that my mom is like classically trained, absolutely brilliant pianist, mm-hmm. like brilliant. Um, and I had, you know, like the godfather of, of East Cobb, you know, teaching person in my house. And I was a kid and I didn't care. Yeah. I, I didn't want to be around it. I thought it was lame. I wanted to play sports. I, I didn't want anything to do with it. I took like, I think maybe two or three lessons. Lessons? Yeah. Like with her. <laughs> and then I was out. 
because I oh, just wow. care. And it stinks now because I could have been an absolute prodigy, you know, having somebody in my house like that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I kind of threw away the chance, which stinks because now, you know, what I do for a living, it's like, man, if I had <laughs> those keys abilities like she does, holy yeah. crud, right. you know, it would have been in May, it would have been amazing. Um, but I'm a self-taught musician so i play drums keys bass um guitar stuff like that um drums is kind of my primary mm-hmm. uh, but i i can play at a lot of things now playing them well is different yeah is it did mark. you do percussion in school or no i just... didn't no it was one of those things where drums were too loud so you know i can't have that in my house that was kind of like a no a no go. <laughs> I always wanted one, but never really worked out. First thing I ever got was a Fender Strat and a AC15. Nice. Um, but it wasn't until I was older that I got that. And I was more interested in guitar at the time. But I always played like a djembe or a congas mm. or something like that. And I always had innate rhythm. Um, but it, I, it actually wasn't until I was older um, and working as an MD that I really actually let myself like play on a kit. And the beauty um, of owning your own studio is you get to have, you know, all these great world-class instruments in your yes. in your house now. So. Yeah, yeah. And I learned about how important it is to have great gear. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, something I'm kind of known for in that way is picking great equipment. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing for me. I mean, I'm always looking up stuff mm-hmm. and always trying to get different things because it really sets you apart, but it also sets a certain sound, too. So like these two acoustics I have behind me are, um, I mean, I have so much money in acoustics for the small studio I am. It's absurd. But I learned really early on that most recorded music um, is done very badly with acoustic guitars. It's just, it's terrible most of the time. It sounds awful or it's too bright, it's too low. It's not defined enough. There's no clarity. It only sounds good at certain parts. And so I learned really early on to get great instruments for your sources to then have people that really know how to play like Mark, for example, and come in and, and play that Gibson like he did, like it's his job, which it is. I didn't know. Um, I didn't play the Gibson. I played that Rose Creek. Oh, you played on, the Rose on Creek? That recording. Oh, I remember. Now, remember, we, we, we see, that's what my, most of our time was. We tested my guitar and your guitars, mm-hmm. and we went through a bunch of different guitars, and then oh, well, and that's settled the, on. That's the that's, thing about That's about what's kind of cool about, yeah about a good Mm -hmm. space like you have and some good equipment you can try out some different things and yeah yeah it looks like do you specialize um in working with artists that lean towards acoustic because i'm you know and looking at your website which everyone is livingoakstudio.com we'll reference it in the show notes um but a lot of these folks look like they may have an acoustic uh, yeah, uh, a lot, a lot of a lot of my clients have have that kind of vibe um, because I really like real things, mm-hmm. real instruments, and real people behind those instruments, um, which is hilarious because in the live world I do stuff that's fake all the time, <laughs> and on laptops, <laughs> and I actually really enjoy that. But when I'm actually recording myself, I I have a more old school feel to it mm-hmm. of hey. We're gonna start pre-production on the song. Okay, how'd you write it? You wrote it on the acoustic. You wrote it on the piano, whatever. And that's what we start with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finding the expert players in each of those areas to make the song better. Um, 
So a lot of them do have acoustic guitar or a piano or something like that kind of bent to them, um, which is just, I, I guess it is my thing. I really like if someone wants to do like a real raw organic record, like I usually get the phone call. Cool. So, you know, let's go back. So, you you know, you learned from your dad and you learned in church and you're, you're running live sound at church and all that. Um, uh, was the next step to, did you, did you go like work in a studio or you just started building your own studio out? So I, I, I kind of took a very unconventional path. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did, I was a performer first mm-hmm. before all of that. So I was a vocalist in a band or something like that, singing with different people, trying to start my own and failing miserably mm-hmm. like everybody else does <laughs> um, and trying that whole thing. And that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Um, I thought that I was going to be a singer and an okay guitar player, but really focus on voice and all that stuff. Um, but see, that's what, this, that's what this podcast series is about. All of us that tried that mm-hmm. didn't quite work out. And we pivot into something successful, right? So yeah, and 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 it, it kind of comes, it really comes full circle in my story. Um, but so I started with vocals, and I had some of the best teachers in the world teaching me, mm-hmm. um, not just at my church because they actually taught you how to do it correctly mm-hmm. in a classical idea. So when you moved over to pop or to rock and roll or anything, everything came supernaturally to you. Sure. And it was because you had those fundamentals. Mm-hmm. You had that foundation built underneath you, you know, knowing how to read music, knowing how to communicate to different people about notes and all that kind of stuff made a huge difference for me. Um, and so because of those things, I started that way. So I went full tilt to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to write my own songs and stuff like that. Started as a songwriter, um, and I still I still write now a, a good bit. But there's a lot better writers than I am, and I like to just employ them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but part of that's twofold um, in an answer. But but yeah. So I was performer first, and so like my 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 gig when I got out of high school was um, playing at church camps, playing for conferences, playing all that kind of stuff. I I played everywhere mm-hmm. if someone would let me in the door and let me play and then i got to bring a band along like i was there and i tried everything within me to do that um because my family obviously was made up of some, some musicians but most of them were also super accomplished so they had all the degrees they had all the stuff and i just was this like weird black sheep coming in trying to do something different and you know not hitting anything but trying at least to move forward and so they would give me that grace which was really cool to learn and to grow and to make mistakes um, but also to find out who i really was and what i really wanted to do Mm -hmm. so it started from that and then it came to the point where um i was playing at a i was playing i was off the road and i needed an actual job like you know that was stable and so i i became an md a music director at a church um and i was able to really kind of take some of those ideas i learned from the road and kind of come in to that and in a more staff environment and be able to like practice every single week on vocals and producing a band and kind of learning what that's like um and in conjunction with that i started an internship with um my mentor mike o'brien who is actually local here to North Atlanta. And his whole job is training 
worship leaders and directors and all sorts of stuff. And he runs um, Vineyard School of Worship, which is a huge uh, thing that they started recently. Um, and he's kind of like the trainer guy. So I, I, I interned with him for two years or so, probably like way too long, actually. It's mainly because hmm. I just liked it and it was a yeah. lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, it took me all over the world doing things for him. Um, but it came one of those things where like, I, I learned all the different parts of the band already, but in that internship, I literally did them. So I was the drummer one time, I was the bass player one time, I was the keys player one time, I was the pro presenter person doing slides. Yeah, I ran sound, I was the front man, you know, I, I did all of the positions and I had held different positions at different churches from that, you know, running camera one time and realizing I stunk at camera and I should never do that job, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, to mixing in ears for Chris Tomlin before, you know, and learning how to do that, and what that is. And, you know, mm -hmm. I basically learned all the parts of the band and slowly as I was on the road, I was, people would say, Hey, can you go fix the sound? Or, Hey, can you talk to this person? Can you go figure that out? And I would always be that person that figured it out. So, um, it came to the point where I kind of realized I was, I was just switching positions from the back to the front. Mm -hmm. And I realized that this is actually where I really needed to be. But for some reason, because of where I grew up in, I just never realized that that was a real job. Yeah. You know, like I knew of people who did that, but I thought, I didn't, I didn't know there was this whole mid-level, middle-class, corporate, you know, regular bands. I, I just didn't even realize that. Like, I knew that was there, but it never connected for me during that mm -hmm. time of my life. Um, and so when I finally realized that, I was like, oh, huh, I think this is what I want to do. And so that's when I started my studio officially. I had done records, like, all before that, but that's when I was like, okay, I've been burned in the music industry before. I've spent tons of money on records and didn't like what I had. You know, uh, that's a long story. Sure. <laughs> that's okay. all of our story. Yeah, I, I, I got to. <laughs> We've all been leave. there. <laughs> I will leave. I will. I will. We will cut that out. Um, but I always said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right, and I'm going to do this well as much as I can. Mm -hmm. um, and if I don't know how to do something, I'm going to hire somebody else. That was a huge tenant for me. Um, and so now um, I had started my studio and the church that I was at was really gracious. And they were like, hey, you should do this. And they also couldn't pay me a whole lot. So I started, you know, making records and then doing the MD thing at the same time because I had to. I had to provide for my, my myself and my wife. And, you know, it, we were young and broke and like every other story, I think, in mm -hmm. America. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I had to kind of, you know, make with it. Um, and because of that, I was able to build and grow as it was. And I would put all the money I, I made right back into it so I could get some new stuff and do some new things. And I had done some live sound again, but at that point, I, I didn't do any. I was fully focused on, on doing the church job and then making records. So the whole other live part that now is a lot of what I do actually came way later. Yeah, well, well I, I definitely want to tell your story about that. Um, when you, uh, so when you get your studio going, uh, like what was, what, what year did you officially like open, you know, Living Oak Studio? Technically it was 2014. Okay, 2014. When okay. I started it. And I had been oh, wow. doing it way before that. I had sure. started in like 2008, 2009. Sure. Mm -hmm. So um, 
doing. So you, you did the internship and you're kind of learning things as you go. But did you, when you were doing that internship and you were doing musical director and all that, like, like where were you learning, you know, this, this gets really like kind of detailed, but where were you learning like, you know, how to, you know, EQ a voice and how to run a compressor, you know, like how to mix in a compressor and how to do, you know, how m mic placement on a snare drum. Like, where did you learn all that kind of stuff that is essential so, for running a studio successfully? Yeah, no, great question. So I learned a lot of the fundamental stuff with, with my internship with Mike. Okay. I learned a lot in that way. But then a lot of it, too, it's, it's kind of unspoken. You kind of have to kind of figure it out. Sure. Um, so I did a lot of that in the, in the front end in the church you know, when I was 14. Yeah. Well, that's what I was kind of wondering. Cause I mean, I learned a lot of that same stuff and I'm mm -hmm. not the level you are, but to just do my own home recordings, I learned a lot, just trial and error and all that. But there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, go to like full sale, for example, a school that teaches those kind of things. Right. Um, mm -hmm. which I think is great. And if, if that's what your path leads, then, you know, that's what your path, you know, <laughs> you know, that's what you're going to go down, but it's not always necessary. Right. Because, sometimes what are we the school of hard knocks right like learning it you know through mm -hmm. trial and error and through stuff like that so that's why i was kind of curious how you yeah you know, if that was more the way you went versus going to a vocational school after you know college or instead of college yeah so i did a little bit of both mm -hmm. um but i learned school of hard knocks like i had to learn it myself or i hung out with people who really knew what they were doing or did internships did tons of stuff for free tons of stuff for free so i could learn and just be sure. in the same yeah. stratosphere as this person i wanted to learn from i did which that I think is, which i think is important like like yes huge. you need to the be paid. Really you need learned. to be paid for your work but when you're first starting out and you're trying to learn the ropes then you're gonna have to throw some freebies out there and i think oh yeah and and my my guys were old school too that i learned from so like they would be like man i can't pay you because you're not an expert at this or sure. you can barely do this and it, it really hurt my pride like a lot because I thought I was hot stuff. But you learn um, a lot from it. Oh my gosh, so much. Like, yeah. so, so much. You know, like yeah. learning how to tune a drum. Right. It's one of the biggest things I, I teach my interns now mm -hmm. of like, when you walk to a show, like on your key ring, you should have a, you should have a, um, right. you know, you should have a, a drum key. You yeah. should have one. Because you have no clue who's going to walk in. It could be, you know, the most amazing drummer ever, or it could be a kid that just got this gig yesterday and, he has no clue how to tune a kit. I have a drum key in my guitar case, and I don't even play drums. It's just in case someone, mm -hmm. need, someone needs it. It happens all the time. Yeah, it happens so all the time. Um, but to answer your question more specifically, mm -hmm. um, I learned a lot from Mike and how to actually do things like how to run a Pro Tools session and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But then a lot of it was just me finding it out on my own. Yeah. You know, going, hey, what happens when I move um, a 57, a Sure 57, closer to a a snare drum what happens mm -hmm. yeah okay i hear more of the attack of the drum i hear more of the sound well that makes sense because theoretically the polarity pattern is getting closer and closer and closer to the microphone so you're going to mm -hmm. hear more of the impact as soon as it hits mm -hmm. you know stuff like that so then but then actually seeing it and doing it are two different things so you can watch somebody do it forever but you need to be the one training your ears and listening yeah. doing all of those things now you just you just you you know you just use some lingo that the average you know person does not you know like polarity patterns and things like that um which as you work through production if you're if you're someone who's teaching yourself production or taking some classes you'll learn all that kind of stuff but 
like I'm curious because I didn't know this about you like your your father being the physicist and being very analytical and all that I mean like how how much did that rub out off on you when it comes to a lot of this kind of stuff <laughs> yeah it, it didn't happen at first yeah okay it was a slow burn to to um quote Casey Musgraves it was a slow burn yeah to now that's all I ever think in okay that's all I ever think is in math and science in terms like we are creating a, ser a science experiment sure and you know, like it, everything changes, you know, your room will do everything to change your source sound. So I spent tons of money on my new studio of outfitting it to mm -hmm. sound good, you know, at the start, at the source. Cause I tell people all the time, Hey, if you want to make a big impact in your show, you need to make sure you have great microphones. You know, yeah. you need to make sure you're using your sources wisely, but if you don't have a great room, you know, what do you do? Okay. Well, if you can build a room, well, how do you do it? You know, um, those kind of things made a massive difference. Um, really just in quality alone. Yeah. Um, so, so now you've, you've moved your studio mm -hmm. out of that, out of the church that mm -hmm. you were in and, and it's now at your home. Yes. So you did a lot, did you do a lot of work to treat those rooms at your house and Oh my Lord. <laughs> now I know the answer because we actually were talking a lot while you were house hunting. And I, I know that, I know yes, that not only were right. you, not only were you looking for a house that had, you know, so, so many bathrooms and bedrooms, but it had to have, you know, a legitimate space for you. So, yeah. And that was weird. Cause I, I didn't think I could afford that. And I didn't mm -hmm. know about all that. And my realtor was like, uh, uh, who was also a musician and a great artist. And he yeah. was like, no, you can do that. And, Kind of found me the perfect spot to be able to do so um because i also wanted it to be i wish it was a detached but i wanted it to be have a separate entrance basically you know its own bathroom all of yes, that so everything right. can be done downstairs and no one had to go upstairs right um but at the same time as we mentioned earlier um i have a little girl who's young yeah. so she has to take naps yeah right. and so i said to my acoustical engineer who i hired i said hey I need her to be able to sleep while I track drums. Sure. Okay. How do we do that? Yeah. You know, how did so, you do that? <laughs> yeah. A lot of work and a lot of hiring people and then me learning right beside them. That that's basically everything I've done in my whole life. I did the exact same thing all over again. Mm -hmm. Um, except I spent way more money. Yeah. But basically we created a, a room that um has uh has two walls around it and then two walls inside the room with mm -hmm. acoustical paneling uh, acoustic uh, isolation inside it and then treatment on top of the walls after that so it wow. is completely soundproof room um and you can i mean barely hear the rumblings upstairs yeah. how it, big is that room I have is no it like idea. a booth yeah basically it's a bigger it's bigger than a booth um okay. Uh, I, I don't know the exact square footage of it, but it um, I, I track drums in it all the time, you know, with a full kit of 12 mics. Wow. Um, so you, you can do a lot, but it's it's definitely one of the best sounding rooms I've ever been in. Mm -hmm. And I'm in spaces all the time that are amazing. So mm -hmm. it, it's it's kind of ironic because you walk in, you're like, huh. And then you open the door and it, there's there's two double doors inside it. Your ears kind of um, pop when it closes. Right? Yep, it does. It does because the screws are still like kind of trying to hold on. Right. <laughs> um, and you open it up and it's just like, whoa, 
okay, there's hardwood floors, there's a rug, there's this, that, and the other. And, oh, wow, my vocal sounds really, really clean here. And, oh, wow, I can really hear the snare drum the way I'm supposed to. It's because we started with the room and we made something out of nothing. And we took a lot of time. I spent spent like six months doing it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, And anytime I had time in 2020 when I wasn't doing a show, I was back at the house with the contractors that I hired to do it. And it was like, hey, can you meet this week? Cool, we'll be there on Saturday. You know, a once a week kind of thing. Is what, that's what we were able to do because I still had to work. Um, so it took a long time. But when I say it's sweet now, and I'm not even done with all of it, I still have to do um, some more acoustical paneling around the actual control room and then the ceiling inside there. Um, but the recordings I've gotten out of that little room, whoo pretty darn so, good so you've you, you know i know you've uh it's you know you've been open in the new in the new home mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's way more than a home studio um but the new studio that just happens to be in your basement um, right so uh have you been doing a lot of projects like a lot of big projects or or it's kind of been all over the place yeah. okay. um, uh part of it is like when i first opened up I, I got a massive ask from a, from a publishing friend of mine, um, to mix like 20 songs. Mm. In like wow. And I had, I mean, when I say I was, I was on the road and I was telling my guys like, I need this done by this time Friday so I can start Monday right. being a record, you know, and I had 20 songs to do, you know, I just yeah. insane amount of work all at the beginning. Yeah. And then of course, you know, it tapered off and I sure. ended up getting a touring gig. So I was on the road a lot and the world kind of came back a little bit with, mm-hmm. with shows. So then it was just whenever I could find time. And then I would start getting all these clients back again and people had better budgets and they were able to do some things, um, stuff like that. So, um, I think I'm on my ninth record this year. Okay. Um, yeah. and that I've mixed, I mean, I a ton of songs, but sure. I don't have the number for that because sure. that's a lot. So you're, let's, let's, let's pivot a little bit because you've, you've also got this other side of your business, which is running live sound. And, uh, we haven't talked that much lately, but as far as I can tell from, you know, watching you on Instagram, you are traveling with a band right now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, back in the pandemic, I, um, I was looking for gigs like everybody else was cause my entire industry sh- shut down. Yep. Um, and at that point, I was doing probably 60% live and 40% studio mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Then COVID hit and everything stopped. Yeah. I mean, I lost 150 dates within one weekend. Sure. It's, and all the records uh, I had stopped. Yeah. Um, because either that or it, it was either, oh, we don't know what to do. And I was like, oh, but it's just us. So I'm not sure. But then I was kind of like, no, we're going to not. Yeah. Because um, did, I didn't know what to do as business. All right. No idea. Right. Um, so in that time, I ended up getting a gig at a club in Atlanta. And if anybody knows me, I am not a club person at all. <laughs> Family dad guy kind of thing. Um, but I took it cause I wanted to mix and Bush faders mm-hmm. and still do my job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up doing that like five days a week. I mean, making barely any wow. money, but I was doing it and it was work and it was stable. Wait, at what point was this last year? This I'm was October of 2020. Okay, so it's kind of like later, that. and here in Georgia, things had pretty much opened up. Right. It, it, it was it was open. It was opened up in the lower tier markets of like bars, 
clubs, all that. But the corporate market had not come back yet. Mm -hmm. I had a huge hand in before that. And that was my real like revenue generator. So I kind of had to pivot and go, okay, I know this is like barely any money at all. And I'm worth way more than this. And I know that and they know it, but I'm going to do the same thing I always do. Yeah, do what and you got to do. Yeah. A big byline of mine and has been for a long time is whether, um, whether your event is in a, a stadium, a church, a ballroom, or a club, I'm going to make it sound great. That's like yeah. what I've said for a long time. And I really had to live it out for six months. And it's stunk. <laughs> I was dealing with DJs and club owners and all that stuff. And they're actually still a client of mine now. I just provide logistics and staffing for them now. Um, but I was doing that during the pandemic. And during that, um, there was an amazing band that was playing every Friday. I mean, they were incredible. And I couldn't believe how good they were. And I kept thinking, why are y'all here? Like a you party know, band, what right? What are you doing here? And I, they went, dude, we have no other work. And I went, oh, well, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And so long story short, their, um, their engineer uh, got COVID and he was kind of on his way out. Um, and they were like, hey, man, would, would you want to come on the road with us? We're part of a, a much bigger band. We got 14 people, you know, tour bus. Wow. Yeah, big band, big stuff. And they're like, we, we would love to have you come mix for us. And I was kind of like, cool, yeah, whatever. I, people say stuff like that to musicians yeah, and yeah, yeah. production yeah. people all the time. So I literally thought it was crap. Mm -hmm. And um, I literally get a call um, a couple weeks after that. And he's like, no, man, like, I'm serious. Here's the calendar. Can you do it? And he gave me 80 dates in one wow. day. Wow. And my whole, you know, outlook changed. I was doing I was doing some uh, corporate audio work for Cobb, city of Cobb County. I was doing the club thing, and I was doing church stuff. And my whole world was weird. And I finally, that phone call totally changed my trajectory for the year. Um, and it was in March and corporate stuff had not come back yet. I had probably 10 corporate gigs the year before that and up to that point. I mean, so are they, does this band mainly play clubs or what kind of they, venues? They play private events. Okay. So, um, so they do um, weddings, um, corporate functions, stuff like that. And then big shows too. Mm -hmm. uh, they've, they've opened up for some like amazing people. Um, they've opened up for earth, wind and fire. Oh, wow. Stuff like that. And they are the nation's top corporate band period they are are you allowed to say their name are we allowed yeah to say they are they're, they're they're called simply irresistible that's what they're called um Fine. and the <laughs> owner of that band yeah it's kind of a cool name right mm -hmm. uh, the owner of that band is the musical director for tyler perry oh, and cool. he's really big into the whole um uh, movie scene doing all sorts of stuff and yeah. his mm -hmm. credit list is insane when you look at this guy's career and so I was signing on to those guys mm -hmm. and I had no clue what I was getting into. And so when I, when I got that call, I actually had another client where I was installing a PA for them. Um, and I said, Hey, I, I already canceled on these guys once. I, I can't do it again. You know, unfortunately I can't do this show, but I'd really love to work with you guys. And I, I kind of had a big into like in um, kind of like integrity kind of moment be like, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't leave this other client to go, get this big fish. No, I'm just going to wait. So I went to a rehearsal for them and their whole rig was just insane. And it's set up and routing and just none of it made logical sense whatsoever. Yeah. And so I walked in and basically 
pressed the big reset button, <laughs> fixed all of it and set up a scene. And this other gentleman that was close with the, the band, um, an engineer named Ma Malcolm Parks, who is a famous engineer. He's worked with Snoop Dogg and tons of really great acts. I mean, he's got mm -hmm. a credit list for days, works with the masters a bunch. Great engineer, really nice guy. Yeah. He took the gig that I couldn't do. And I thought, man, I lost it. Oh, no. I lost it. He's And this guy's great. And he's a good dude. You know, I, I lost it. And he had he had a, another big integrity moment because the owner was like, man, it's never sounded like this. Like, sounds sounds really good, really clean. Uh -huh. He goes, Ben set all that up. I'm just running his scene. And in the in the age of the digital world, you can save your file, um, which is technically like the intellectual property of the engineer. And it's a really big deal. So he didn't have to say that. He could have easily passed it off as himself. Yeah. No, 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 no. Ben did that. I did not do that. So that Monday morning, I had a call. He's like, hey, man, no. Next month, you're coming to Dallas with us. And That's I was cool. like, oh. <laughs> okay. And before halfway through the gig started, they already had my name on a bunk and the whole. Wow. Whole, um, and it, it's been incredible. They are so talented. Our front line is I mean, I put them up with anybody, really. They're they're that good. Uh, so tell us what it was like to be on the road so much. Like, since you are a family man, and you just yeah. said, you know, family man, husband, dad, but now you're on the road all the time. What? So what is that like in real life? Give us yeah, a scoop. So it's hard. It's not easy. Um, but the only way that I, I realized that this would work if I went back to the road was that if I kind of had what I call the JV touring, experience so where i might be out four to 12 times a month or three or four days at most mm -hmm. so i'll do these like little like little weekend runs where like this weekend we're going to austin mm -hmm. um but i'm flying out i'm not on the bus for a day or two i'm flying out because that's just in my contract and also because that's just kind of what they've done before with the other people mm -hmm. um, but so I, I learned some ways around it but then like this past week, I was out for 10 days because I had other gigs that were going on. I had a client that I was going to in Charleston and then I had to come back and I had to do all this different stuff. And I was on the road for a while. So I can do it in like little short little blips, but that's the only way it works for my family because my wife's a teacher and um, having a two and a half year old by herself is very difficult, no matter how great they are. And she's amazing, but they're also difficult. So having those kind of times to do stuff like that. Um, and then um, also to be able to take breaks and to say, hey, I'm a freelancer, I'm gonna take the day off, you know, like today. This Perfect. is what I'm doing, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's definitely hard, but at the same time, um, the way I get around it is, um, is not doing it for like three months. Yeah, um, so, so I was recording with, the, I was doing stuff with the band, um, and I got that first call to do the, the gig in Dallas and I was super nervous, you know, high profile gig. I've been in many high profile environments, but I was nervous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I was shaking in my boots and I do 200 shows a year, but I was still shaking in my boots. Um, and the show went really, really well. I did just did the normal stuff that, about how I mix and how I run sound and mm -hmm. they were used to 120 decibels. And I came in at 96 and it was yeah. clearer and better, right. you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And so right at, right at the jump, they were really excited and they offered me the position. And, you know, since then I've, I, I go about four to 12 times a month 
out with them. Um, it just kind of depends on the month. Um, but it's definitely hard to manage that with family and time. But the way I get around it is that since I'm my own, I, I own my own business. I can, I can decide to work whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Um, now everybody that knows me knows I work a lot. Yeah. And part of that is because I'm storing up for the seasons that are slow, mm-hmm. but also, uh, I haven't had work in a long time. Like this is the first year I've actually starting to make something and be pretty proud of what I'm doing. Um, because 2020 was so bad. I was going to say, we're all trying to make up for 2020. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, but at the same time, like I, I do go pretty hard. So there, there is a, you know, some, some of that, but, um, really it's just making intentional time. Like when you're home to be home, mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. Cause most of the time when I'm home, I am, I'm not doing, I'm just doing house stuff, playing with my daughter, hanging out with my wife, watching Netflix or, yeah. or football or whatever. And I'm purposely like, I'm at home. You know, and and having that mindset is really important. Um, but also, you know, I can't be out three months, you know, on, on tour. I can't. Like, I, I could, and the only we've joked about it. There's like ten artists that I would go out and do that for if it was like a national act. Like, there's a list. Yeah, right. Exists. Uh-huh. Um, who's the who's number one? I have to know who's top of the list. It's a toss up, really, because okay. some of my people now, I guess, are more legacy artists, which uh-huh. is kind of hard. Um, but if Beyonce called me tomorrow, <laughs> okay, Beyonce, I'd be gone in a heartbeat. I was, I was or say, we've yeah. got we've got the guy for you sitting right here. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I Ivy. Know, yeah, I also know Bruno Mars's uh, front of house guy, uh, Chris Rabel, who's one of the best mix engineers I've ever heard in my life. If if Bruno's show opened up, I'd I'd be there in ten seconds. You know, you wouldn't have to tell yeah, me. Yeah, those that would be such a fun show. I was gonna say, that'd be yeah. that'd be fun to work, but also just easy, Ex- easy to tour around with those. With oh those my gosh, guys, yeah, so. that, there'd be no way I could say no to that. Mm-hmm. So that like you have some of those conversations, and but it, the weird thing is, is that like I had wanted to be going back on the road right before 2020 started. Actually, mm-hmm. like I was starting to, I already had 60 shows by March 11th. Yeah, like I was running. And it was hot and heavy and I was excited. I had spent a week in LA doing some stuff and I came back, I was going to um, Charlotte for a week to mix. And then I came home and I did uh, a show at uh, GWCC, the Georgia World Congress Center for a week and I and it was great. And then that Friday, COVID hit. Yeah, and it was all gone. The world yeah. down and you know, yeah. my whole my whole world got turned upside down. I had, I had a festival the day everything shut down and we were like, Oh, I guess we're not playing that one. You know? Yeah, I remember loading out and everybody going, "What's happening?" Yeah, right. Like, I, is, I remember the first time weird. I heard the word COVID, mm-hmm. and in the last session I did in my room, my little breakout room, they were like, uh, "Yeah, so how do you deal with a pandemic and shipping? Yeah. How do you deal with that?" And that, and, and like everybody and their mom, like people were dropping off like flies. No one was showing up, and it was start of something crazy. So now me working a lot obviously makes sense but at the same time you know getting back to what i used to do was was difficult you know i remember the first show i did when i got back and it was in 2020 but the first corporate thing i did i was so tired yeah it kicked my butt like it was hard it was really really hard yeah i think people Um, really slowed down a little bit and it's it did you know I don't know that we'll ever get back to the pace we were at prior to COVID, which might be a good thing. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I, would, I would agree with that. Um, my wife, uh, at one point when I started to get back to work and do a lot of things, she, 
she kind of looked at me. She goes, you know, I kind of got used to you being home. Yeah. And I was like, I, yeah. I totally understand that. You know, I, I totally get that. But at the same time, she knew that this is what I do. Like any other season where I've tried to do something else for a season, which I'm sure every musician and every production person has done that, thought, oh, I'm just going to go get a job at Costco or whatever. And I'm just going to make my life easy. It's going to work nine to five. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, let's check every two weeks. Well, I've always wanted to try to do that, but then it never works because this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, exactly. Like a heartbeat, I know that. And I've learned the hard way a few times. So she is my biggest supporter. Um, and she knows that like, hey, yeah, this is what you do. And, you know, she'll hear the stuff on the road. She'll go like, man, do I need to come see you? Are you a bigger deal than I thought you were? Like, she <laughs> that. said that to me once. And I'm like, babe, I'm, I'm, I'm just. The- <laughs> right. Well, shout out. What's your wife's name? My wife's name is Kim. Shout out to Kim because yeah. having a spouse that's or partner that mm-hmm. supports you like that is huge. Oh yeah, like, that's huge. Yeah. yeah. It's the only way. Um, and you've touched on several things that I think we, you know, as Mark and I have done this series and talking to professionals in the music industry there's several things that just across the board i've noticed mm-hmm. one is mindset which you just said that word and i was like i gotta say the word mindset and you said it for me um but just that mindset of um growing learning mm-hmm. and growing at all times oh, yeah. um and working really hard like i find the musicians who are successful uh, in having a career in music, they work really hard. They have a growth mindset. Um, they wear many different hats and they're not afraid to walk through those doors that open for them. Now, that being said, when you get to a certain point, like you have, you have to be a little careful about all the opportunities that come your way. But, um, you know, by that, by that point you you're a little more discerning in that but it's just like all those things like to to just hit on for our student base it's like you know don't be afraid to try or to step into that and learn something because even if you fail (laughs) I mean you're going to right you're gonna like mess up make mistakes make somebody mad along the way probably I'm really good at that yeah Yeah, yes, no, can, tell us, like, can you tell us an example of that? Like, now ooh. that you said that, I'm really curious. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I have, yeah, lots of lots of thoughts. When you're first starting out, you got to take every gig that's offered to you. Um, you got to. Um, that's the only way you're going to get better is if you do the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might not be qualified yet or whatever, but you got to do it. it. The only way to really learn is to go through it. Um, and, and the other thing about if you want to be great, it takes work. Greatness doesn't come to you. It flows through you because of what you've done to get there. Mm-hmm. That's, just, that's just what it is. So um, I'm, I really like sports. I'm really, really big in the sports. That's like my, um, my hobby outside of, of work and music and all that. And I see you're a Braves fan. Yeah, Braves, and I, you know, I, yeah. I, I, and I love. I'm I'm really big into the LA thing because I grew up going there so much. So I, I'm a huge Los Angeles Lakers fan, like big time. Like I watched Kobe when he was just starting out. Like mm-hmm. I'm oh, cool. huge Kobe fan, and I have that Kobe mentality, um, that mama mentality that he talks about all the time. Like greatness is not something earned; it's something that's given to you. 
because of how you got there. You know, mm -hmm. like that's a huge, huge thing for me because people think nowadays that you can just play guitar and show a YouTube video and you're going to get found. Well, that might be true, but not for most people. Most people, they have to go play at the bar for $100 and maybe get fed, you know, to then find somebody to come into the club. I mean, that's what happened to me. And mm -hmm. I've been doing this for forever. Somebody found me at a club and, you know, apparently the bosses have been there for four months. and I didn't know that. So you never know who's going to walk in through the door um, at your Yeah, gig. but you have to like prepare, prepare, you still prepare. Have to keep work, 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 work. And then you might get a break. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like we, we don't, the production people don't take breaks. Like it's always a rite of passage of going, oh, I got 20 days in a row to work. Mm -hmm. you know? and well, I'm I like, mean like getting that lucky break. Absolutely. Like, you yeah, know, you absolutely. Just keep, you have keep to. Going, going, going. Yeah. You never stop. I, I still never stop. Like, I, I think about months ahead. I'm thinking about the money I'm making this week is going to pay for March. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the way my whole mindset is as a business owner. And a lot of people also don't think that way, too. They really don't. I'm glad you bring that up because um, this is a discussion we actually have with our instructors. It's like you have to understand the ebb and flow of the music lesson business. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because there are definitely like points in the air where you're teaching more and then points in the air where you're not teaching. And it's like you got to think ahead and plan. Mm -hmm. for those times so you have a lot of business savvy but not everyone thinks that way no they really don't I, I i mean that's the first thing i one of the first things i went over with one of my new interns who's on the road with me now all the time mm -hmm. you, know, you got to get a calendar on your phone mm -hmm. um you need to have an llc under your name um you need to learn how to learn how to network with people so i'm going to give you all these contacts of the labor and logistics people for shows and you're gonna bug them to death to get work, you know. And I'll I'll throw your name out a couple times to see what happens. And you know, he ended up doing really well. But he's also proven himself every mm -hmm. week on the road, learning something new. To where now he's been promoted twice because of him working his butt off, not just because of the opportunities I've been giving him, but also because he shows up to work. Right, showing uh, up is huge. And would you say like that the business? sense that you've developed is that do you think that's innate or did you have a good example of that growing up yeah my since my dad is a, a physicist by trade he's owned his own um custom software development company for 41 years now okay wow. um so he is a go-getter as as it is and he didn't have a lot of money growing up mm -hmm. um and uh he's done very well for himself now but it's because he worked like a dog to get there and you know so i had a pretty great life going up like i i, I had nice privilege you know mm -hmm. and i and i knew that i didn't realize it as much till i got older but but now i, I mean it was invaluable because he was trying to get me to work at 15. Mm -hmm. going hey you got to learn what money is you know you got to learn how to earn and you also got to know hey maybe i need to take this risk and go play this show somewhere and make 300 dollars instead of 750 an hour at chick-fil-a you know, maybe okay. I need to go try that. You know, maybe that is what I need to do. Maybe it's not. You know, some people can't handle that stress. Some some people can't handle, oh, I'm not getting my check this week. I don't know. You know, I used to be really weird about that. And now I, I don't listen, have listen, it's, it's not for everybody. It's not. It's not for everybody. And my wife is super smart and way more qualified in her job than I am, mm -hmm. just degree wise. Um, and if you if she did what I did, she would lose it after two days. She wouldn't be able to. 
because she needs structure and schedule. Whereas this week I'm like, cool, I'm home. This is awesome. <laughs> I get to record for four days in a row and I do, I'm only doing two shows this week, one in town and one in Texas. Yay. Like I'm happy about this, you know? Um, and people can always deal with that. So uh, just, uh, I, I have one last question I want to ask you, Ben. Um, all right. So we've got, uh, if people in the Atlanta area want to come out to Living Oak Studio and record a song or a full record or whatever, you know, um, we have a lot of like like young students in high school that are writing music mm-hmm. and they're learning to record a little bit of at home. But you know, maybe they want to come and uh, get the uh, you know the real the real experience of coming into your studio. What is the what is the one thing? you know, like the one aspect of being, you know, uh, that you wish more musicians would come into the studio, like prepared with, right? Like, what's the one thing like, you know, that you wish like everybody who would come in, like, okay, on that, when you walk in the door and you're ready to mm-hmm. record, what's, what, what do you need to, what do you need to have? A great song. A great song. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, so a lot of things, but the biggest no thing, pressure. Yeah, <laughs> the biggest thing is is just having something to bring to the table, mm-hmm. and then being open handed about it, because there's times when I'll have artists who are super qualified walking in, and they're so close minded on their song. I'll go, "Did you want to hire me to do this? Yeah. Did you want to do this? Yeah. Wait, no, you hired me to do this. Okay, so let's be a team, mm-hmm. and let's work together. And then sometimes you have people that are so open handed, they want everybody in their mom's opinion. Mm. and it's terrible and it's the exact opposite <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. um so I, I have an artist i just started recording with recently um within the like yesterday actually mm-hmm. um brand new to the game but she's a writer and she's she's a poet and um we did a couple pre-production writing sessions with her and she really took to heart what we had to say about syllable count and imagery and all these different stuff i brought another pro musician to help out and she came back and she wrote a banger. Okay. Like, and it's because she worked hard, took the lessons and then came back. And now we're building the basis for a great recording project because we did all the work in the beginning. Right. So it's really about like what I what you need artists to do before you go in the studio is you need to work your butt off before you walk in mm-hmm. because it's only going to make everything easier. And it's also going to show the producer engineer that you mean business too. Yeah. You know, like I want a great song, you know, and the hard part is, is that not everybody knows that not everybody understands that, you know, um, sometimes people don't have any money either, which is also really hard. That's you know, tough. Yeah. yeah. Money really does make it easier. It definitely mm-hmm. does. But at the same time, if you don't have a good song, it doesn't matter if you're recording at Ocean Way in Nashville. It doesn't matter. <laughs> You've got to have a great song. Okay. Um, cool. So I'll send people away actually to go work on their song, even though I can make money right now by having them. Everyone knows who works with me. I do not do that. I will send you away. Um, We'll go grab a drink or something, just talk about stuff. But you got to have a good song to start. If you don't have that, you got nothing. All right. Cool. Well, that's great. Well, Ben, I appreciate you uh, joining us today. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, nice nice talking with you. We'll put your uh, studio in the uh, show notes so people can come visit you if, cool. and get, if you're in the, and uh, I can tell you from experience to the listeners that Ben is a great uh, uh, engineer and producer and uh, 
he, he, he and I worked really, really well and really quickly and we need to do it again. Oh, we do. We definitely so, do. That was a fun cool. day. Ben, are you uh, active on social media? Is there a place you like to engage with folks? Yeah. Um, I'm not great at social media, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> I post as much as I do is only because my intern tells me to. Um, <laughs> I just work a lot and I just forget. Um, but the best place to, to find me is Instagram. It's just Ben Ivy Music. Cool. Um, if you can DM me there, um, you can interact that way. That's definitely a really good way to get in touch with me. Um, you can also go to my email, which we'll list in the show notes too. Um, that's a great way to connect with me because I'm I'm very organized kind of person. I like to I don't like to miss anything, you know. Um, great. That's definitely a good place to see it out. And you know, it depends on the week. I might be on the road somewhere here. I might be, you know, here doing a podcast episode. You know, it just kind of depends on the week. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank right. you for sharing your time and wisdom with us today. Of course, of course. All right, everybody. Until next time, we'll uh, see you later with another episode. Have a good one. Bye, everyone.